from Mind Force Radio. This is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength. Strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. Tonight, it's a huge honor for me to have as our guest one of the greatest and strongest athletes the world has ever known. A man who was truly the best all-around iron game athlete in the history of physical culture, the legendary Tommy Kono. In his day, Tommy was the best in the world in both Olympic lifting and bodybuilding. During the 1950s, from the time he won his first gold medal in the Olympics in 1952, Tommy was invincible. He was undefeated internationally for eight years until the 1960 Olympic Games, where he took a silver medal. He set a total of 26 world records in four different weight classes. This feat has never been matched by any other lifter. During the same period, Tommy dominated bodybuilding as well, winning the Mr. World competition in 1954 and Mr. Universe titles in 1955, 1957, and 1961. He was also an Olympic weightlifting coach for the USA and later for West Germany and Mexico as well. In addition to being a great champion, Tommy is one of the nicest, most humble, and classiest gentlemen you will ever find. I remember the first time I talked to Tommy several years ago, and I was so nervous, and uh, I, I was calling him Mr. Kono, and the first words out of his mouth were, call me Tommy. He's such a nice, humble guy. Anyone who lives near Tommy in Hawaii should take advantage of his, he's in the gym all the time, he still works out, and he just gives free advice to anyone who asks. And be sure to get Tommy's two great books, Weightlifting Olympic Style and Championship Weightlifting at TommyKono.com. That's T-O-M-M-Y-K-O-N-O.com. And Tommy, it's an honor to speak with you again, and welcome to Natural Strength Night. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show. And Tommy, uh, when did you start Olympic weightlifting? Um, did you have a coach or were you self-taught? Well, you know what? It was by chance that I got into Olympic weightlifting, but it was uh, on March of 1948 when I was a senior in high school. I entered my first weightlifting contest, and that, that was simply because uh, I was going to accompany a friend of mine who was a good lifter to a contest, and the rest of the guys in Sacramento, where I was born and raised, were the ones that said, well, if you're going, why don't you compete too? So I thought, yeah, well, why not? You know. And then so I trained for a couple of weeks, before, and then I entered the contest, and I That's did great. well. I came in second place. I came in second place, so I thought, wow, in the Northern California, of course, there were only two of us in our class. <laughs> I came in second place, and that really whet my appetite for the sport. Where were you when you first went to the gym and learned how to lift weights? Well, I was in uh, camp. You know, the war was going on, and all the Japanese Americans on the West Coast were uh, relocated to different camps, and I ended in a camp called Tule Lake, that's in the northern part of California. So it was there uh, that I, my next door neighbor, showed me about weight training. 
And um, my dad didn't want me to do anything like that because he thought it was too strenuous. You know, because all he could think of was that I have to lift heavy weights and all that. But he didn't know the uh, the principle behind training and getting the bigger and stronger muscles. Because right. prior to that, I was very sickly. I used to hmm. be so sick with asthma that I used to miss about one-third of my school days. I missed so much of my elementary and elementary school. That's, uh, I guess, what is it? Uh, anyway, um, I was put in a second class, another class, although there were two different classes in the same grade. I was in a group that was a slow learner group because I was missing so many days in school. That was my background. I was skinny, very asthmatic, and just the opposite of what my three older brothers were and my dad, you know. They were very good and everything, but I guess I happened to be the black sheep or something. <laughs> but I, I was... Uh, I had eczema when I was a baby, and then after that, I developed asthma. And the asthma became so severe that I used to miss about one-third of my school days. Wow, and you really took to the lifting. I mean, how, how soon um, did it take you to really see the results? Well, you know what? It was um, it was in the camp, and we were able to get a York barbell set, which was was it York 10 special? Mm-hmm. And it was just a five foot bar with a 25 pound plate, 20 pound plate, 12 and a half, and so on. And I started training with very light weights. And I got the idea of, you know, progressively increasing the weights and all that. So I started developing some muscles and I started filling out my body because. I used to be so skinny, it was embarrassing for me to go take a shower because I developed a pool of water right in my clavicle joint. <laughs> I'd have to lean forward <laughs> to scoop the water out. <laughs> wow. And anytime I, anytime I breathe in, my ribs would really be sticking out, you know. So wow. That was my beginning. Yeah. Well, I, I had about one year of training in camp, and then we were released, so we were were able to go out. So I was actually in the camp for three and a half years. I went in there when I was 12 years old, and I came out when I was 15 and a half. So naturally, we went back to Sacramento, but we didn't have much at all because we went there with nothing and came out with almost nothing. We were like immigrants, really. I went to high school. Couldn't train with weights because at that time, nobody lifted weights. You know, it was completely taboo. And uh, they they were saying, oh, yeah, you lift weights, you get muscle-bound, and you can't even scratch your back and all that. I used to, I wanted to train, but I couldn't train because there was nobody that had weights. And so for about a year, I just played basketball, church league basketball, until one time the church league said, hey, you got to go to the Sacramento YMCA to get something. So I went over there, and I heard the clanging of barbells in the basement. And I thought, hey, this place has barbells. So I That's joined great. the Y, and I started training at the Sacramento YMCA. That's going into my senior year in high school. And I was really into weight training, you know, exercising and all that bodybuilding. So I had all of York Barbells courses and uh, offense, big arm book and broad shoulders. <laughs> yeah. and, and Joe you to hide that? coming out with his York physique and all that. Oh, right. So I was really into it, yeah. Even Walt Baptiste on the West Coast from San Francisco, he used to published a magazine called Body Modern, which was like the size of a life magazine at that time. Big, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, 
that was my start. I, I trained and I love bodybuilding. And it's by chance that I got into Olympic weightlifting. That's a great story. And, and how much of an influence did uh, Ed Yarick have on your early training? Did, did it, uh, and how long did you lift at his, uh, his gym? Well, you know what? Ed was in, yeah, he was a staunch believer in weight training. And he had a gym in Oakland. And every now and then, we may be going up to Oakland. And of course, I would train at his place then. But other than that, uh, Ed had no real influence on me, except that the atmosphere of his gym was real good. Even even when I was in the service, uh, I was pretty, well, I was at what they call Fort Ord. Mm-hmm. And that's probably about 80 miles away from Oakland. I used to hitchhike to Yarrick's gym to train. Wow. Because in, in camp, in the, when I say camp, army camp, all they had was five-foot bar with the biggest plate being 25-pound plates. And they had no mat. They had no uh, platform or anything. It was just a mat that you lifted on, you know. Mm-hmm. And I made the best I could. But then every now and then I would like to touch uh, Olympic bar. I used to hitchhike to uh, San Jose, which was closer by, about like more like about 40 or 50 miles away. Then I used to go wow. hitchhike occasionally way up to uh, Oakland. You know, in those days, you couldn't find any Orientals or Asians hitchhiking. That was unusual, but hey, it didn't matter to me so long as I could grab a Olympic barbell. <laughs> wow, you know, because I, I read that you trained at Yarrick's, and I, what really motivated you was the equipment. It was he, he had a great gym and great equipment, and that's why you hitchhiked all that way to go there. So, you, I mean, you that is uh, so great. I mean, hitchhiking all that way to use an Olympic bar, that just shows your desire. Yeah, well. If I hitchhike to Sacramento, that means another 70 miles or so. So, you know, that was out of the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Tommy, since since you won the gold medal in uh, 1952 in Helsinki, Finland, uh, did life get any easier for you while you were serving in the U.S. Army? No. You know, in that time, your Army didn't recognize any athletes and all that. So I guard duty like everybody else. In fact, uh, the fact that I lifted in Helsinki, they said, now you're going to serve your overseas term in Germany. So instead of coming home, I went from uh, Helsinki directly to Germany, and I got stationed there for nine months, serving my overseas term and but in some ways, it was a blessing in disguise because in Germany, everybody lifted weights. Every village had their own team. And they wow. used to compete against each other. Every weekend, you would have a contest. And being that I was an Olympic champion, being over there in Germany, naturally, they would invite me over to compete or give an exhibition. So I took advantage of the fact, and I I lifted almost every weekend. And, you know, I had to really produce because there were many people who were into Olympic lifting, well, who followed weightlifting in Germany. So they knew exactly what I did the week before at another place. They wanted to see if I'm going to do the same thing or more on this time. I was always at peak condition all the time. That's where, that's when I learned how to train properly. Did you train off the base with the German nationals or or on on the base? No, no. I, you you get stuck in the base. That's it. You stay on the base. <laughs> oh, with the Germans? No, the Germans used to. Well, they would send invitation to me to the headquarters. And they would receive so many requests for my 
giving uh, exhibitions or con- being in the contest, they said, hey, this this place has become a Kono enterprise or something, you know? Right. And it was Clyde Emmerich and I. Clyde Emmerich is from Chicago. He was in the service, too. And he went to the Olympics. And he and I were stationed there in Germany. I was in a place called Mannheim. And he was in Heidelberg. The only time we got together was when we gave exhibitions. And he... That is interesting. Uh, he had... Yeah, he was running a swimming pool and all that. He was in charge of the swimming pool and so on. I They put me uh, in charge of um, a gym. And so I was in charge of a gym, but the gym was more for boxing than anything else. Yeah. And luckily, the gym had an Olympic set, but nothing else. No bench, no squat rack, or anything. So I used to roll up the boxing mat, uh, mat and rest the barbell plate on one of those mats and the other one on a bench, and then I would go underneath it and pick the weight up and do my squats. You now you make do with what you can, that's all. Yeah, equipment was hard to come by back then. Oh, yeah. And I was very lucky that I had an Olympic set. Right. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, you had an amazing lifting career starting in 1948 and ending in 1965. Um, what would you consider your greatest contest during those years? Yeah, most people expect me to say, oh, winning my first Olympic gold medal and all that. But that, believe it or not, when I won in Helsinki, I didn't total as much as I could have. And that really disappointed me. So winning the gold medal was just a routine thing. But years later, probably my best accomplishment was when I had to lift in Moscow all by myself. Um, This was in 1958. I was in Hawaii and the AAU, that was the Amateur Athletic Union, operated out of New York. They sent me a cablegram saying um, they have a weightlifting contest in Moscow. Can you make it? So I had just tried breaking a world's record here on the clean and jerk. I cleaned it and missed the jerk. So I said, yeah, I could, I could go. You know, I'm in great shape. So I flew into New York. And then I called up the office and said, who else is going? He said, nobody, just you. I said, wait a minute. I'm going to Moscow just by myself, you know? So, yeah. Originally, they had invited four lifters and one coach. Hoffman said he didn't want to go. So (laughs) then the the Russians sent over saying, uh, originally... Hoffman would have to pay for the four lifters and himself going over there, you know, the plane fare. Right. Uh, And that's part of it, I guess. He said no. But when they wired back, they said, okay, and we want Tommy Cohn over. We'll pay for his airfare and all that. And so that's how I ended up in New York. And I thought, my God, if I had known that I was going to be the only one going, I wouldn't I wouldn't have made this trip. <laughs> anyway, yeah, since I was halfway there, what can I do, you know? So I said, right. okay. So I flew from there to London, London to Paris, Paris to Prague, and then to New- to Moscow. And wow. this was in March now. This is... Nice balmy weather here in Hawaii, and over there it's freezing cold in <laughs> Moscow. What a big contrast, you know. And I was the, probably the rarest person here in Hawaii to have a raincoat, I mean, not raincoat, a top coat. Right. Simply because I was from, originally from Sacramento. Right. So I had my top coat, but the top coat was a light top coat, and... It didn't help at all. But anyway, you must I have been gone through this whole thing, and I competed, and I won. That that was 
probably one of my greatest triumphs for me because to go over there, no teammate, no coach, they did assign one person to me, but he knew nothing about weightlifting. You know, he was just a translator, and that's all. Oh, they treated me nice. Yeah. That's great. You know, you're competing against seven other lifters, and you don't know what their potentials are. Several of them, one of them, Rebach, was an Olympic champion, and so was Bogdanowski, middleweight. And there was Shigun, who was a clean and jerk world record holder. These people were in the same class as me. Of course, you had naturally injured. What were your lifts that day? Yeah, you know what? I, I pressed, luckily, I, I pressed 292, snatch, got 275 or something like that, and clean jerk, 352. Unbelievable. And that was enough and to win because the other guy, the Olympic champion in that class, was not in good shape. Yeah, I was in the 175-pound class. I mean, 165. So your body weight during most of your lifts was what? During most of your uh, competitions? Oh, it varied. You know, I, I would fluctuate because yeah, I didn't want to break in, my own world record. You yeah, were in, in four different time, weight classes, was, right? Yeah. Wow, but, that's uh, amazing. I, well... Only because I was, uh, you know, like, believe it or not, I had three suits, three different size suits to wear. <laughs> wow! Because you know, when I was too, when I was really heavy, the suit wouldn't fit me. It was too tight. Right. I remember going to uh, a suit place called Foreman and Clark or something like that, and I wanted the suit, and they said okay. Said the coat fits you well. This is a regular or short coat and all that for. But I said, yeah, but the pants are so loose. You know, can you make it smaller? He said, oh yeah, but if we make your pants small to fit your waist, the back pockets would come together. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. (laughs) You must have had a hard time buying clothes. Yeah, because they got a. Yeah, so you know. <laughs> wow. Well, I I broke world's record in four different weight class. Oh, I right. did win gold medals in three different body weight class. Yeah. Right. That is amazing. Yeah, it was a. No, it was just a challenge for me. That I love weightlifting, and I wanted to do the uh, unusual. It's just like I had won the. Lightweight class at Helsinki, and then mm-hmm. Melbourne was the next Olympics, and I won as a light heavyweight. Now right. Rome was the third Olympics, and I wanted to win uh, the middleweight class so that I could say that I won three different bodyweight class and three different Olympics. But mm-hmm. at Rome. Because of bad knees and all that, I came in second place. So right. I thought, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. That's all, you know. Yeah, but you, yeah. you went. You were undefeated for about eight years, right? You went from what 1952 all the way to 1960 undefeated, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then 1960. That, that is, well, 1959, I won the world title. And 1960 was the Olympics. And that's when I came in second place. Yeah. That is amazing. And from then on, it was declining. <laughs> we'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlarginine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at vitalnutritionstore.com. 
Formulated by Dr. Harry Elward, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website webstrengthcoach.com he will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs a program right for you bob will give you feedback after every workout this is old school fitness and nutrition no fads and no gimmicks bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied so visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let bob help you reach your best self webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com, where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com. Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, Honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation, a masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, iron game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I-R-O-N nation.com.
If you would like to promote your business on MindForce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30 or 60 second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on MindForceRadio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on MindForce Radio. background you know in your training you did a lot of bodybuilding and you you went on to be a great bodybuilder um you, you're one of the few world-class olympic lifters to win the mr world and three mr universe contest during your career um could you talk about your early training that was devoted to bodybuilding exercises well you know what i followed all the courses that was in strength and health magazine and followed many of the things that we were stressing. And so I've, I've gone through the whole gamut of bodybuilding. And uh, so I got a very good idea of what to do and all that. But <clears throat> it's uh, one of the things that's important is there's so many good bodybuilders, but they don't practice enough posing. And that's mm-hmm. the key, being able to present your body in good, favorable light, you know. And you could have all the muscles in the world, but if you don't know how to present it properly, you, you're not getting the maximum benefit out of all the training you do. And I was fortunate right. that when I first started lifting, uh, they would always... Well, I would win, and so they want to take pictures of me and all that. Then I would flex my lats or something. And I guess it was unusual for them to see something like that on a weightlifter. And then a lot of time I would give exhibitions, and it isn't enough that you just lift weights. They want something more. So I started doing all kinds of muscle control and posing and all that to go with it. That gave me a a very good background in competing in international contests. Not that I haven't competed locally. When I say locally in the United States, I I competed in, like, Mr. Sacramento, Mr. Northern California, Mr. Pacific Coast. I was even in Mr. California and down, you know, uh, in, um, was it, uh, Santa Monica or something like that. Not like I hadn't been exposed to anything like that prior to going into the Mr. World or uh, Mr. Universe contest. What were your favorite exercises when you were training for bodybuilding? Well, pressing was my forte, you know. So, right. And then I believe in uh, a man should have good pair of shoulders, and that sets him apart from others. So I, I work. In fact, you know, when I think back, some of the the bodybuilders, there was one guy named Grimkowski or something, and he had terrific shoulders. He never won the Mr. America contest, but. I thought, man, this guy really got good shoulders. Mm-hmm. But shoulders were important, so I did a lot of upright rowing and presses like that. Workout used to be maybe at the most two hours. Because I, you know, like I say, I went through that sort of a rehab program when I was sickly and all that. So I know the limitation of your body. You can't push, push, push. You need to rest, too. So that was to my advantage, knowing that I could do just so much and I should quit. And I found out that bodybuilding was a great diversion for Olympic lifting. And because of that, I think my weightlifting career 
extended longer than others because I was right. able to go from bodybuilding to weightlifting, weightlifting back to bodybuilding, and that was good. Which one did you enjoy more? Well, I was a bodybuilder, so, you know. But a bodybuilder is, well, it's all by looks. So it's all the whim of your uh, judges, you know. Whereas weightlifting, right. it's clear cut. You either made it or you didn't. That's it. I like them both. You know, I think right. uh, weightlifting was my sport, but I think bodybuilding was my hobby. So immediately after the World Championships or the Olympics, plunge right back into bodybuilding because I'm tired wow. of pushing myself constantly with heavy weights and all that. And I want to get that pumped up feeling. So I would immediately... In fact, I used to envy those who would win the nationals and they could stop training heavy. Whereas in our case, we win the national, that's only a stepping stone toward the world's championship or Olympics. And so you still got to keep training, you know, on the right. Yeah. With the heavy singles and the low reps and that, that wears you out after a while, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It, that's, that's why... You know, it's good to switch. In fact, I think in one of my books I wrote that even, uh, say, a week before a world championship or something like that, I might just do a bodybuilding for one workout or something just to get right. away from all that, uh, the nerve being used all the time, you know. In our days, this is before, uh, and this is back in the 1960s or earlier, there were no machines. The only thing right. that was really there was uh, the pulleys, mm -hmm. overhead pulley, you know, lap pull down or something like that, and that's it. And they right. had, uh, yeah, no, no incline kind of. In fact, they they started coming out with the incline bench, and I remember the Scott curl came out, you know, where you use the incline bench to do the curls. But right. that was it. Not not like yeah, the machines I mean, that they have now. Everything is just sitting down and doing your bench, sitting down and pressing, sitting down. Everything is sitting down. Right. When you lifted, you probably you were on your feet all the time, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that the uh, the top American Olymp Olympic lifters today spend too much time training with overly complex training programs? Yes. You know. When uh, the European system of training came to the United States, that's when we started going backwards because all they stressed was train, 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 five days a week, even twice a day if you have to. And right. they could do it because they get paid for it. Like, But in the United States, you don't get paid. You could be a world's champion, Olympic champion, and weightlifting. Nobody's going to come to you and ask for endorsement. In other right. sports, yes, but not in weightlifting. So, yep. What what uh, what can you do? You know, you could train all you want, but you got to make a living, or you got to attend school, so you got to spend the time studying. Whereas, I know for a fact that uh, in the Soviet Union, this is a long time ago. You were either permanent university student, <laughs> like in a scholarship, like that, and all you do is train, or you were in the military. What do you think about the the steroid problem? Do you think a lot of the Soviet lifters were using uh, steroids back when you were training or when you were lifting? Yes, you know what? Uh, we didn't know any better. So, guys like Shamansky. Uh, Pete George, myself, Dave Shepherds, and all that. The, we made records prior to steroids being introduced. So what does that mean? That means really we thought we could do it. We did it. The others started relying on outside things to help them. And I remember 
There was a, the Press Sisters in track and field, the, um, the Soviet Union, and they were questioned about whether they they were taking anything. And then when they started resorting to taking the saliva or something, saliva test or something, mm-hmm. scraping the tongue or something to check, that's when they right. stopped. They quit. The t- the Tamar Press, she was a shot putter. The other one was a runner. They both dropped out completely. Yeah. You were suspicious a little bit, like back in the 50s. M- most Americans didn't even find out about steroids at all until the 60s. But the Soviets had steroids, you know, after World War II, but we didn't really know about it. Did Did you ever suspect they were using it in the 50s? You know what? It, for myself, I, it never even dawned on me, and it didn't matter because I was outlisting right. them anyway. So <laughs> right. the more they listed, I just had to outlist them. That's all. Yeah. So much that's is great. mental, you know, because when that's you right. think about it, what I did as a lightweight in Helsinki, setting world's record in the snatch and all that, the Chinese girls are doing it. And almost in the same body weight class, you know. Of course, it's, what, 50, 60 years difference, but that's progress. You can't stay still, you know. We are still in the archaic stage where we are still looking at silver tone, 17-inch black and white TV, when the others are all got plasma, 60-inch plasma TV and all that. (laughs) Yeah. And Tommy, at what age would you start a youngster at Olympic lifting? You know what? Uh, I would say when they're young, they should go into all kinds of stuff like tumbling and that kind of stuff, you know. But to actually go into weight training, I would say about 12 years old, more for what? What should I say? High reps. Uh, form than anything else, not heavy weights. Uh, kids that age should be judged on technique, mm-hmm. not on how much they could lift. Because if you start judging them on what they can lift and all that, then they start training themselves or they do any way to lift. No, I, I prefer that. It's like um, learning martial arts, you know. They have what they right. call kata or going to the form. They're not actually sparring, right? Right. So you got to learn how to go through that form, all the various forms. And later on, you can go into sparring. What, what age you know? do you think they should, uh, what, 15 or 16 to lift heavier? Or what age would you? Well, they're competing when they're about 14 or so. And then... Mm-hmm. From then on, it's up to them, you know. But right. the younger they are, the more supervision they need. That's the thing, bottom line. And, uh, Tommy, we have time for one last one. And I know this is one of your favorite favorite topics. But how important is the mental aspect of training? And how did you train your mind to be the best in the world in both bodybuilding and Olympic lifting? You know, the the mind is such an important part of the physical side and I I feel that um, I I wrote a book which was never published but it was on the two-arm press it was 20 pages long and then people would ask me how come you started with page six what happened to page one to five I said that's (laughs) the mental part I saved it for the mental part from six to 25 26 is the physical side, but the first five you, pages is the mental part. Yeah, I think uh, I read one of your articles once where you said that you think that for all your success, you put 50% of it mental. Yeah. Yeah, I I just, you know, arbitrarily picked the number saying that play emphasis on the fact that the mental is such an important thing. 50% is mental. is technique, and only 20% is power. Wow. But everybody has just the opposite. 
That's amazing because most the people would think it's thing. like all yep. power. Yeah. Well, it's just wow. like, uh, as I said at the very beginning, and the physique contest, you know, it's not just flexing the muscle, but it's being able to project your body to the audience, the good part of your physique. You got to know how to right. pose. And too many bodybuilders are not practicing that part. All they do is flex, flex, flex. How much time did you practice posing? You know what? I was very fortunate that they would always ask me to give an exhibition, and it wasn't enough that I just lifted. And I had to leave an impression behind. Because when you say, yeah, I, I lifted 350, it doesn't mean anything to the audience, 350 right. pounds. But you show a big chest and all that, wow, that impressed them. And so, or you... Not only that, but say you do some muscle control, then they'll say, wow, did you see him? the muscle just rolled around, you know? Right. So that leaves a great impression. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I did was I used to blow up the rubber hot water bag until it busts. Now, That's a lot of people wrong. now don't know what a rubber hot water bag is, but in our days, it was pretty well known and all that. and. I would do that to climax my performance, you know. I would lift, I wow. would pose, muscle control, do some strength feats, and end up with blowing up the rubber hot water bag. And that people always remember. In fact, when I walk around here in town and they say, oh, yeah, I remember you. You blew up the rubber hot water bag, you know. Can you still <laughs> do that? And I say... Yeah, but it takes longer now. <laughs> wow, you, you can anyway, still do it though, Tommy. That's awesome. No, I. How I old can't are you? How now. old are you now, Tommy? I have Tommy? a hard time blowing up a regular balloon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You know, there's, there's, uh, I'm, I'm 84 years of age now, so I realize wow. that you gotta you have sound great. a certain time. You could do so much, and then after that. You have to start changing your standards, and I tell my yours are probably still higher than uh, before. Ninety-nine percent of the people. You know, yeah, I still train, but it's only to maintain what I have. But now, I don't even say that. I said it's to survive. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tommy, tell us more about how you, um, how did you prepare your mind? And you know, when when I reflect back, and I'm. I'm going to be writing a book eventually about all this. When you come across obstacles or challenges, that's what you what will create you from being a champion or not. If you have an obstacle and you want to overcome it, you can. But if it's an obstacle and you say, oh, I can't do it, you've just given up already. Now, I'm very fortunate that I had a lot of obstacles, like, you know, poor health and all that kind of stuff to begin with. Or right. the fact that when I was in the service, they had me going through um, all the other routine things and still lift weights. So Right. And did, you, you learned to lift in the, de in the detention camp, right? And you made that into a positive. I admire you for that. Right. right. Yeah, you could be bitter about the whole thing, and that would be it. But no, instead, when I reflect back, I'm thinking, you know, all those things were nothing more than challenges. And so I was able to meet the challenge, and that is a key. It's all in your attitude. So That's exactly anyway, right. That's, that's, uh, you have a great attitude, Tommy. I love your attitude. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's what made you a champion. What else can you do? You know, you gotta either fight your way through, or you you're defeated. That's it. That's right. I see too many people. I see too many people take the easy way out. And they say, "Oh yeah, it's too hard. I can't do it." And they that is uh, they make excuses. That's what it is. Yeah. It was a real honor to speak with you again, and I want to thank you so much for your time. Be sure to get Tommy's two great books, 
weightlifting Olympic style and championship weightlifting at TommyKono.com. And Tommy, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Don't be a flamingo, you have to do your squat. Don't be a flamingo, real lifters work their legs. That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for NaturalStrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion, and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at MindForceRadio at Earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>